First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, uh, verses one to eleven. So if you want to make your way over to First Thessalonians chapter five. Okay. Um, I think I don't know. I think maybe we'll work with it for for today. Um, this morning we're looking at the second major section uh, of this book dealing with the end times events that are yet future. Uh, it's what theologians call eschology, which comes from two Greek words. Ology is related to the idea of study of, okay, and eschaton or eschatos is the the last things. So the study of the last things is eschatology. Uh, that's a, a $10 crossword puzzle word that you don't necessarily need to know. Um, but it that's what this is about. It's about what's coming in the future. What can we anticipate and look to? Now, before we get into the passage itself, uh, I want to tell you there are two major reasons why God gives us eschatology in our Bible, why He gives us these kinds of passages that talk to us about things to come, things that haven't happened yet. One is for our... In uh, Tony, I think we might need that. That It's cutting out real bad. Uh, the other is for our exhortation. God did not give us these passages just to scratch our uh, intellectual itch to know what is going to happen in the future. Like, oh, hey, uh, I'd really be really curious about these end time events. It would be really cool if I knew all about them. Uh, but God does not give us these passages for that purpose. He says, look, I'm encouraged in the difficulties that you're in and the things that you experience that are a challenge for you right now, be encouraged in those. And also, uh, exhortation, in light of the fact that these things are coming, how then should you be living right now, today? Amen? So, we're going to see both of those. How do we live in a God-honoring way in the meantime, between now and the great day? Uh, because of the hope that we have... I'll just swap the wire. Okay, are we in business? All right. I once went to a conference at a church down in Arkansas. And, oh, oh. All right. Well, it was really distracting. Um, but in any case, uh, I was at this church down in Arkansas. At the, it was a large church, like 10,000 people attend this on a weekly basis, including, uh, I think, the governor and a couple of senators and that kind of thing attend this place. And, um, and they said, it kind of gave the pastors who were there kind of a behind-the-scenes look, and they said... Uh, you know, we have every element of our service planned in eight-second increments. I thought about that, and I thought, well, we are not that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, uh, we occasionally have things happen, all right? Um, 
But here's the reality, that you and I live in between the day when Jesus ascended into heaven and the great day when Jesus is coming back and will reward those who are faithful to him, even as he judges uh, those who are in rebellion against him and removes sin and evil from the world. And so God's word for us today, as we're looking at it, integrates both of these things. It includes encouragement for us as we live through difficulties in the here and now, and also exhortation. How should we live uh, going forward between now and the great day? So uh, I want to get, I want you to be as excited as I am about God's word. Uh, and so I don't want to take any more time introducing it, but if you'd stand. Uh, as I look at and read for us, First uh, Thessalonians chapter five, verses one to eleven. If you're able, please stand. Uh, this is what the Word of God says. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we know the end from the beginning because we are followers of him who declares the end from the beginning. Father, you are sovereign, not just in our daily circumstances, but over all human history. You are the one who began it, and you are the one who will see it to its conclusion. Uh, for our good and for your glory. And Father, help us today to live in light of your word and to be encouraged in the midst of hard days and to live faithfully until the end of all the hard days comes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you look at verses 1 through 4, what you'll see is that the first three verses in that, in that section of your text uh, is a reminder of what they have already been taught, and then verse 4 is a word of encouragement to them in light of it. Uh, one of the great questions from Jesus' day up to our own is this one. It's one word, when. Okay, Jesus is coming back. When. Jesus uh, is going to bring an end to all of the suffering and evil and sin and uh, all the things that sin has ruined in our world. Everybody wants to know when, okay? And, and here's the deal. Um, for a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world and throughout history, question has carried a lot of pain in it. 
because they are being persecuted, they are suffering. This is not, in other words, just an academic question or a theological debate. If you are suffering persecution and death, the question when is asked with anguish. It's asked the same way the psalmist did in Psalm 13 where he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? You feel that? A lot of you might not know this, but 75% of the psalms are laments. They're blues songs. Okay? And, and the psalmist is writing this. He's saying, look, I am suffering and you are not doing anything. When are you going to come and deliver? And that is the question the Thessalonians have because they are suffering. They are people who, who, whose persecution of their faith starts basically as soon as they come out of the birth canal. They are brand new Christians and they are getting persecuted in that moment, just weeks after they came to new life in Christ. Some of them have even died already because of their faith in Christ. And so they want to know when. And the answer to the psalmist's question is no, by the way. The Lord has not forgotten you and He will not forget, but we are not told exactly when. The answer we do get consistently through the Scriptures is this one word, soon. Well, when is soon? Soon is soon. Soon from whose perspective? My perspective or God's perspective? Well, from God's perspective. If you're eternal, soon is you know, it might be millennia to us, but soon from God's perspective, it's pretty quick, right? We don't know when, we know soon. Uh, and in verse 1, the answer here is, there's no need to have anything written to you about times and seasons. Why? Because we don't know when, we don't know times and seasons, uh, despite all the efforts to make predictions over the years. By the way, if you're still listening to Harold Camping, don't. Um, the guy has made 12 predictions about Jesus coming back. They've all been wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, yeah, he can make predictions, right? Um, pretty soon, I mean, I, I kind of take it as a given that whenever anybody says it's going to happen on this day, we know one of the days it will not occur, <laughs> right? Um, because no one knows when, but we do know that Jesus' return is imminent. It's imminent. Uh, we don't have a date certain for it. The Thessalonians don't get one either. The answer that we do get, both of us, uh, is verse 2 and 3. That it will come like a thief in the night. Now again, he's speaking here of the day of the Lord. I'll explain a little more on that in a second. But the, the day of the Lord is a surprising calamity. Just like a thief in the night. If a thief breaks into your house in the night, do you greet that as good news? No. Say it with me, right? Somebody breaks in your house, that is not good news for you, right? So this is supposed to be encouraging. So how is that an encouraging thing? More on that in a second. It'll happen when people are not expecting it. They will think, on top of that, that they are living in peace and security. Says it'll happen when people are saying, hey, peace and security, everything's good. I got no problems. It's all good. 
It's all good. But destruction says they will not have any sense that God's judgment is right at the door. Destruction will come on them like labor pains on a pregnant woman. Now, let me say this. I have never been pregnant. Uh, in case anybody's curious, men cannot get pregnant. Um, uh, but those of you ladies who have had a child, do you remember labor pain? Raise your hand if you remember what that's like. Okay, I'm told that it maxes out the pain scale when when they go to the ho when you go to the hospital and you're like, oh, uh, you know, zero is no pain. One is like, uh, you know, uh, mildly uncomfortable, right? Like maybe I have a pimple. That's like a, a one, right? And then ten is over here, like I'm being put through a clothes wringer face first. Um, that is labor pain, right? <laughs> that is the worst pain you've ever felt in your life, right? So, on top of that, I'll bet that you remember if you're a woman who's had a child, that once labor starts, and I'm not talking about Braxton Hicks or any of the rest of that, but legit labor, once that really starts, there's no stopping it until the end, right? We are going through this. The baby is coming. And it is both inescapable and painful and doesn't end until it's over. Right? So, um, here's what we know about the coming of the Lord from these verses so far. One, no one knows precisely when. Number two, it will be sudden. Number three, it will bring calamity and destruction. Four, it will be painful. And five, it will be inescapable. There won't be anywhere you can go if you experience the day of the Lord that you can escape from the pain and destruction that it brings. Now, some of you may be listening and thinking, hey, hey, Pastor, I thought you said this section of Scripture was encouraging. And you're thinking, all right, get to the encouragement already. And you don't have to wait long. Uh, the encouragement is in verse 4. Look at it with me. Verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Now let me explain a little more. What are the pronouns in verse 3? You should see a difference between verse 3 and verse 4. What do you see? In verse 3, you see they and them. And in verse 4, you see what? You. So they and them and you are not the same people group, right? So who's going to go through the day of the Lord? Not you, right? Not you. So that ought to give us a clue as to kind of the order of events, right? Uh, we looked last week at the coming of the Lord, and we we're told over and over in that section in the end of chapter 4 that the coming of the Lord is going to be this great, glorious, good thing where the dead in Christ rise and the those who are alive and are left are caught up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord and encourage one another with these words, right? And then we read in verse 4 of this chapter, you will not have this happen to you. So what are we then to conclude putting those two things together? That Jesus coming for His church precedes this event 
the day of the Lord. Right? In fact, I would say that what we're talking about here is two different things. The day of the Lord is what we might call in Revelation the great tribulation. The day of God's wrath has come upon the earth. And that the, the Jesus coming for His church is before that taking us out of here. So we are not going through that. Right? We will not experience that. They, as verse 3 says it, will experience that, but we, being part of the group called you in verse 4, will not experience that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will not go through the tribulation. Why? Because you are not people of the darkness. The people who, on whom the day of the Lord are not Christians. We are with Jesus. And we will join Jesus through the rapture of the church that precedes the judgment. So, while unbelievers will not escape God's judgment, we will. Why does that matter? Because it means that whatever we're suffering right now isn't God's judgment, and that God also will not fail to bring judgment on the people who are persecuting His people. So that tells us that A, God is not blind to evil, and He is especially not blind to His people's suffering, and B, that He will assuredly judge evil and the people who persecute His people. Amen? Because if you've ever been uh, beaten to death for your faith, but that happens in places all over the world. I don't know if you've ever been threatened at gunpoint and run out of your house uh, and had it burned down behind you with all of your possessions inside, but I know a man who has had that very thing happen. One of our Indonesian brothers. Woken up with an AK-47 on the end of his nose in his own house and told you and your family to leave. And then they burned down his house behind him. What do you think you think in that moment? Well, I'll tell you what you think. One, I'm really glad I'm alive. And number two, Lord, do you see what has happened to me? God is not blind to that. And he will bring justice and judgment on those who persecute his people. And that's encouraging. Because it means that we're not going to suffer under God's judgment, but there will be people who will unless they repent. That God is just. And God's justice is also good news. He won't let evil persist. And so in light of that, we get a conclusion. Um, verses 5 through 10 are interwoven encouragement and exhortation about our salvation and how to live as God's people. Verse 5 says that we who are Christians are children of the light, children of the day, who do not belong to the darkness. We are not night people. And that's obviously a metaphor, uh, but it's talking about how the fact that 
that since God dwells in light, we who belong to Him share in His nature. We aren't people who belong in the dark like Satan does. Amen? Satan will one day be cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And His people who follow Him also belong to the darkness. But we are not those kind of people. We aren't people of the dark. We are moths, not cockroaches. Amen? What happens when you turn on a light? Well, a moth flies near to it. What's a cockroach do? Run for the dark, right? Um, verses 6 through 8 draws a conclusion from that reality, extends the metaphor, if you will, and says to us to stay awake, stay sober. And here, the idea of sleep is a metaphor for spiritual unconsciousness. That just like people who are physically asleep aren't usually aware of what's going on around them, right? As every middle school boy played pranks on the first kid to fall asleep, uh, knows that, the, uh, that, that people who are asleep don't have any awareness of what's of what's happening around them. In the same way, people who are spiritually asleep don't know that they're spiritually asleep. They don't know that they're living in the dark. And in fact, they like it. Amen? And on top of that, um, and, but we are not like that. We are people who God has woken up. People who live in the daylight of God's presence with Verse 6 is a reminder that since that's true, we should not live like people who belong in the dark. Verse 7 continues that thought and it explains, it says, uh, people who sleep and people who get drunk do so at night because that is the right time for those activities. People who are in darkness do them. And again, sleep here is a metaphor for spiritual unconsciousness, for living under Satan's dominion and under his control as a sinner. We aren't being told that it's wrong to sleep physically, right? In fact, this afternoon I will go home and take a nap and it will be glorious, right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing sinful about taking a nap, right? But what he's talking about here is that People who are asleep are people who are living life as an unbeliever. And then drunkenness is being called out as one obvious type of sin that people who love darkness are enslaved by. And let's be sure we don't miss verse 8. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet hope of salvation. In other words, since we have become Christians by faith in Jesus Christ through His love for us and have therefore received the salvation that saves us completely from death, live soberly with full awareness of God's commands and live in obedience to them. Don't live like an unbeliever, in other words. You aren't one. You are one of God's people. You are people of the day, people of the light. So don't be slinking off to the darkness to do what unbelievers do. Amen? Don't do that. Now how about verse eight, uh, verse 9 and uh, 10 here for some more encouragement. Verse 9. We are not, say it with me, 
destined for wrath, but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know? Well, look back at verse 8. You see the verb there? You know what that's called? Those of you who are grammar nerds like me, uh, you probably know. Okay, It's called a perfect tense. Having put on. In other words, you've already done this in the past. The helmet of salvation is something you have already put on. Because you have already received it through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, God has not destined you for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you're curious, that is the only way to get salvation is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead, then you receive eternal life and you always have it from that moment forward. It cannot be lost and you uh, are not destined for wrath anymore. You have received salvation. And on top of that, uh, let me underline this just a little bit. What is, uh, what is the great tribulation that Revelation describes? It's the unfolding of God's wrath on the unbelieving and on a rebellious world. But that is not our destiny. Our, our destiny is not wrath. It's salvation. And verse 10 says that this is the very reason that Jesus came. Why did He come? Look at it. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Now, let me say this quickly. I think Paul has changed the, the meaning of the word asleep here in this verse. He is not talking about spiritually anymore. He's talking about us physically, right? So, in other words, if Jesus comes in the night and we're asleep, we're going to be what? Saved. We're going to be saved. If Jesus comes in the daytime and we're awake, guess what? We're going to be saved. Why? Because the very reason that Jesus came is that no matter what we're doing as believers in Christ, that we might, look at what the Scripture says, live with Him. That we're not going to miss His coming. You're not going to sleep through it. Right? Oh. Jesus came back and I missed it. I slept through it. <laughs> okay. No, no. Whether you're awake or asleep, your salvation means that He is taking you home to live with Him. That was the reason that He came. He died to save us from His wrath, to unleash that wrath on the unbelieving. But we don't need to worry that if Jesus comes at night that we're going to miss it. He loves us. And whether we're awake or asleep, He's going to take us home be with Him because being with Him was always the end goal for which He saved us. Now, this section concludes the same way as the previous one at the end of chapter 4 with a reminder to encourage one another in what you have just been taught. But it also exhorts uh, them, the Thessalonians, and us uh, to continue building one another up. Just as you're already doing continue to keep building one another up. Now, uh, let me just say this here just as an aside. Sometimes I think we forget that that's what the church is here to do. 
part of the job that we have as members of the local church is to help each other grow to maturity. That's our job, to encourage and build one another up. It's part of why you're here. So you pray for one another. You serve with uh, one another. You serve one another to meet one another's needs. You encourage each other. You spur one another on. Which, by the way, anybody know what a spur actually is? Okay, it's something you use on the side of a horse to make him move, right? Um, in other words, it might not be comfortable when someone is spurring you on, right? But part of the job of the church is to spur one another on. It means that we check in with one another uh, in a, for accountability, that we love one another, that we share all good things with one another, that we honor one another above ourselves, that we teach one another, that we rebuke one another, etc. Right? There's a whole long list of these throughout your New Testament. And I'm always confused whenever somebody tells me that it's possible to grow to maturity in Christ without being part of the church. And in my snarky, sarcastic self, uh, I have sometimes said to such people, you know, you show me someone who has grown to spiritual maturity without being part of a local church, and I will show you Bigfoot riding the Loch Ness Monster. Okay, in other words, I will show you something equally implausible. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You must be part of a local church. And I realize I'm preaching to people who are part of one. But nonetheless, don't forget that this is vitally important for your spiritual maturity. That you be engaged with a local church so that you can be built up yourself, but also so that you can build up one another just as you're already doing. It might be theoretically possible to come to maturity without being part of a local church. But not if you listen to what Jesus had to say about it. And not if his testimony through his word in this place right here, verse 11, and anywhere else in your New Testament, you will not find evidence that that's true. Build one another up. You need your brothers and sisters in the church to help you to be encouraged, to help you to grow up, and we all do. All of us do. So, let's encourage each other with what we've been taught. Let's help each other to grow up, to keep stirring and spurring one another to, to grow to deeper and wider spiritual maturity until the day we see Jesus. Amen? So, uh, let me uh, conclude with just three big points of application. Number one, and this is the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Which kind of person are you? Are you part of the them who will experience God's judgment? Or are you part of the you who will be taken home to be with Jesus? If you don't know the answer to that question, let me explain the difference. It is not the, the separation between those two kinds of people. It's not Who's really nice? Who's really religious? Who grew up in church? 
uh, who gives the most money, uh, or anything that you might measure and look Let me tell you what it is based on. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, not in your good works, not in your, not in your well, I think I'm better than most people, etc. But in Jesus Christ alone, if you've come to Him and said to Him, I am a sinner who deserves to go to hell, who deserves to fall under your judgment for eternity, but nevertheless, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me to to take my sin and bear the penalty that I deserve to die in my place. I put my trust in Him. And, and I believe that also that He was raised from the dead to give me new life. If you've done that, then you are a person who when Jesus comes will be taken home to be with Him. If not, however, If not, I can offer you no encouragement except this. Put your faith in Jesus. Because the alternative to that is something no one wants to experience. God is a just God. And He gives everybody what they ultimately want. If you want to spend eternity with Jesus, being able to worship Him, follow Him, uh, experience His love for you for all eternity, there is no way that you will escape that destiny. If, on the other hand, you tell the Lord, I want nothing to do with you, He has a very special location for all such people. He will give you what you want. Let you be in a place where no thought of Him will enter your mind. Choose wisely. Amen? Number two, if you belong to Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, we all have a past. We all used to live in the darkness. I love the description from Colossians that he said he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Right? But if you are a believer in Christ, you may have some areas, maybe some little dark closets in your soul that you haven't uh, purged the stuff from yet. And if you do, can I say this? There is no better day than today to leave it behind in confession and repentance. To purge the darkness from your soul Jesus is gracious to forgive and to heal. He cleanses us from our sin as soon as we confess it, but we must come to Him in repentance and turn away from it. And I don't know what that sin might be, but if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now as a believer in Christ and He is saying to you, hey, remember that over here? Today is the day to repent, to turn a new direction, to confess that sin, and to be forgiven, and to leave it behind. Amen?
Don't live like you're in the darkness. You're not. You've been brought into the light. So live like the people of the light. Live in the light you were reborn into. Amen? Last thing. If you have your faith in Jesus today, then be encouraged. Be encouraged. The Lord has you in His hands and no suffering that you undergo in this life will ever separate you from His love and from His salvation. No matter what you go through. Karen and I found out this week we were doing some fun stuff. We were going to a couple of college visits with Nathan, our youngest, having him check out schools where he might get trained in the ministry. And that was fun. We got to celebrate my, my daughter Ashley's 21st birthday, see her, eat pizza with her friends, etc. It's great. But we also got news that father-in-law had a serious heart attack third one on Monday had to be taken into the hospital and he has two blood vessels that are 80% blocked and is exhibiting symptoms of both heart failure and renal failure those two things tend to go together so it was an up and down week amen lots of fun stuff lots of really scary stuff all in the same time Here's what I know for sure. Nothing in this life will ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And not one thing that happens, not one, will ever in any way remove the salvation that we enjoy. We have already put on the helmet of salvation. Amen? We are already wearing the breastplate of faith and love, and none of that can ever be taken away from us. God has not destined us for wrath, but to receive salvation and to dwell forever in the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who bought us from death and darkness with his blood and is taking us home to dwell with him in approachable for us right now, light. Amen. One day we will behold the Lord face to face and live with him forever. And not one thing that happens will ever separate us from that destiny. Amen? Not one thing. So, if you would pray for me and my family, but also, let's be super encouraged that not one thing will ever separate us from God's love. Amen? So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have these great and precious promises and that we can rely on them, that we can lean on you, that we can know that whether we are persecuted, whether we are beaten, whether we are scorned, whether we are reviled, whether we are uh, even martyred for the faith, that, Father, not only will you bring justice for that, but also, and much more importantly, that because of your mercy and great love for us, you will be taking us home all the way to you. Father, we thank you. We have comfort on every day, good days, bad days, fun days, hard days. 
all days. You are with us in every moment of every day. And nothing can separate us from your love. Father, we praise you for that. We pray we would go out of this place encouraged by that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah!